Once upon a time, there were three very different little boys who grew up to be very different men with three things in common. They're brilliant, they're beautiful, and they work for me. My name is Jeffy. Summer edition. Yeah. We are in the house, everybody. Oh, wow. Let's, let's in the, thank in the our, house of play. Yeah. Uh, let's get to that in just a second. I want to thank our um, our absent friend, Jeffy, who has decided to be our Charlie on the mic tonight. And the thing about Dad Band Land is I know that our demographic will get that joke. <laughs> I was, I'm not sure I got that joke. It took me a second to figure out what's yeah. going on. Well, I'm Adam Felber, the host of Dad Band Land, the podcast where we talk about all the music we love from the point of view of a neighborhood cover band. And uh, right over here. Hey, this is Kevin Burke. And the reason why my voice sounds so clear is because I am filled with COVID right now in a yeah, hotel to the room. Brim. Yeah. To the <laughs> yeah, brim. Yeah. I'm, I am in a hotel room to avoid my house. And my wife just recently joined me in this hotel room because we have, if you've been following our story, we've been getting our. HVAC installed in our home, and so she had to leave to come here so that they could finish fixing our house up. So we're both in isolation together. And anyhow, um, yeah, I did it. I did it. So you got I, COVID I at Comic Con. Let's flip over all the cards. You're a you're a popular writer of many interesting animated properties. You went down to Comic Con, picked up some COVID, came back home. Yeah, no, I went down swinging. Like I didn't get it from the FedEx guy or anything. Like I definitely was in a public place. Where it was everywhere. Um, yeah, that seems to be the case. I, I got on the train home and my body just started to collapse. And I thought, oh, is this what Felber felt like when he did it? And then I haven't gotten Paxlovid because I saw what happened to you. You have been a cautionary tale to me about how not to treat my COVID. That's right. But you know what? I took the Paxlovid. I had to spend an extra five days in isolation. Total of like 15. But, you know, I've never felt <coughs> better than I do right right now. Um, hey, let's welcome the third member of our team, the guy who who runs that 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 controversial piece of real estate down the road. Uh, as we know, it's inherited wealth. It is Brian Frank Purveyor, who runs Brian's House of Wax. Brian, what platter that matters do you have for us this week, and how you doing? Hi, uh, I don't have COVID, so now uh, it's up to Jeffy to uh, complete the set for us. Right, all um, three of us have had I, it I, except him. Yeah, and we've all come yeah. and done episodes with it, which is amazing. We're like <laughs> President Biden working, you <laughs> know, it. in the other room. Yeah, we are. President. With the COVID. Um, yeah, uh, I so didn't realize the House of Wax was controversial, but in tonight's controversial House of Wax, <laughs> we will be discussing uh, Bruce Springsteen's The Rising, which, uh, mm. if you can believe it, just turned 20. It seems like oh, yesterday. Wow. It does seem like yesterday for various reasons, and we will get into that. Now, ordinarily, we'd be turning to Jeffy to talk to him, introduce him, chat with him, and talk to him about what's uh, happening in Jeffy's jukebox tonight. He's not here, as we heard. Kevin, you're the guy with COVID. Tell yeah. us what's in Jeffy's so, jukebox so, tonight. Uh, I'm going to go into Jeffy's jukebox and cough all over it or whatever, because no one can stop me from checking out what's in the jukebox. And I've opened this up, and this is very thematic to me. This is a question about the most iconic 
favorite guitar solos of all time. Guitar solos, the instrument that really anchors a rock band, it's about what that brings us joy. Which, which, which songs are our favorites? Which songs we think are the most iconic with guitar solos? Yeah, guitar solos. They're a very interesting beast, and we should get into their history and deployment and all that stuff. And we will on Jeffy's Jukebox. Uh, right after we finish this, uh, you know, this thing that Kevin and I do where we break down a song that our band plays or talk about the status of our band. And the whole story for this last month has been COVID. It really has. I was not prepared for July to just be the COVID month. We got so close to getting back together. You got it twice. Now I've gotten it. I mean, I don't. It, it's really, it's been ravaging the neighborhood, everyone's neighborhood right now, but ours in particular. Yep. And you know what? It makes play, It makes jamming with a band really difficult because we're carrying the plague. It's not something I've ever factored into my performances or friendships with people. This is all new to me. So should we should well, we should we imagine songs we've never played? Like should we just imagine what it would be like to play <laughs> songs and start breaking that down? I want to bring one out. Yes, absolutely. But Brian was going to say something. Brian, what up? Yeah. I was going to say unless you all have it, then you yeah, can just our, sit around then and that, jam. Then that's our that's our shtick. We're the COVID band. Right? No, one can, no one can come see us because we're filled yeah. with COVID, but we can play with each other. I don't um, know if our bass player no, or drummer have had it yet. I honestly don't know. Um, our drummer has, and I think he has, and yeah, I think everyone, I think everyone has. I don't. I know a few who did not. I was one of the last ones standing, and I chose to go to a place with like two hundred million people, all in one area. I usually get sick from Comic Con when there's not a plague. And uh, right, and I got the plague. This time we got the actual yeah. plague. So anyhow, so if we imagine we play a song, I mean, I feel like what would, what would we play if we played songs? That you, you have an idea? Oh well, yeah, because we were about to play it before the band exploded. Remember, the band exploded during the COVID times, but not because of COVID. But one of the ones right. we were working on, which I would love to break down as soon as we learn how to play it, is uh, Scissor Sisters. Take your oh, right. mama out. That is such that a good a- song. I took the time to learn it before our last jam session, and uh, we were on the cusp of learning a song that actually rocks, grooves, has a great piano part, and uh, then came the end of the world. That is true. In fact, right before I got on this, I happened to see the this hotel room, the music video for No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age, which is a Ooh. So- which is a song that is tremendous. It is, I forgot, it's a music video that should just be forgotten about, and we should just pretend it doesn't exist. But as a song, what yeah. a great song. Haven't heard it in a while. How's the keyboard part? Oh, it, it's like, it goes like this. Now, do, are you uh, stalling out on a Zoom, or was that your impression of a keyboard part? That I was impersonating what you do on that song. Okay. Yeah, I was singing. So, I was singing your part. You know, after after a couple of years, I'd think that you would start to take that into account. Ah, oh, there's plenty you know of room is, for a Hammond organ sound in there for sure. There is. What was hilarious is I literally saw it as I was logging in, made the note. I should, we should do this song. And then as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, crap. There's no keyboard part in this song. You've done it again. My brain. Oh, like, Kevin, you've done, done it, it again. again. You know what? It's been a two years of COVID, and I fell right into the trap again. My own trap. Yeah, but you know what? I feel like the essential narcissism of the lead guitarist is, is kind of a theme tonight. <laughs> so we're just going to be able to roll with that all evening. It's great. And uh, <laughs> Yes. And with <laughs> Are you okay? I'm good. I'm fine. I mean, I have COVID. Did you guys hear okay. about that? No. <laughs> no, I skipped that part. Okay. And with that in mind, let's roll on to Jeffy's Jukebox. Now, Jeffy couldn't be here for his jukebox, but he did want to continue the ancient comedic trope that he was working at the beginning of this show. Let's hear it. Let's hear our assignment from Jeffy's Jukebox. Hello, angels. It's Jeffy's Jukebox. Sorry I can't be there in person this week, but we have on Jeffy's Jukebox, your assignment this week is Most Iconic Guitar Solos. Take it away, angels. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as the three angels that he um, believes us to be, (laughs) and and we are a 
good-looking, bespectacled, white, pasty trio of guys. Um, <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm mostly blue and green. That's right. right. You That's are true. covered with we ink. Are, we, are, we are all in disguise. We're wearing the, all, the same glasses right now, but I'm not sure I'm into this. <laughs> same shape. Oh, dad land. Um, okay, so uh, let's go ahead and do this. Let's talk about, let me frame the guitar solo, because as, as you guys know, my music fandom, I kind of kind of like Brian's, but not like Kevin's uh, as much, extends into things like jazz. I'm a huge fan of jazz. We just don't sure talk about that. Yeah, you are. Oh, Great. my God. Um, Whoa. This, so we're otherwise, gonna... <laughs> your theory won't work. Okay. For your theory to work, let's pretend. Uh, I don't no, like no, jazz. No, no, I've never no, no. heard of it's, jazz. It's, yes, it's fine that you're a jazz fan, too. But, what, but, but what's so interesting in blues or jazz versus rock and roll is that rock and roll is a genre where the solo is not a conversation. It's not let's give the drummer some. Usually it's not let's give the drummer some, let's give the guitarist some, let's give the keyboardist some. It's usually let's give the guitarist all of it and see what they can do with the musical portion of this song. Um, so as, as opposed to it being an act of um, uh, creative uh, camaraderie, it's this amazing step to the front of the stage act of rock and roll heroism, which really doesn't exist quite to that extent in blues or jazz. It's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot less give and take. But that's not to criticize it that much because it is they, these solos, because they happen once or twice in a song and they're generated strictly out of the guitarist's mind, they can be iconic. They can be amazing. And so I don't want to start with my favorite guitar solos. I want to send it over to Kevin to start this out because... I think Kevin has some deeper feelings about this that need to be pro. Well, I, I, I have a lot of feelings, but I'd say you're absolutely right. I think the pro and con of the guitar solo is that, <clears throat> is that it's oftentimes just this platform that, that as much as I'd love guitar, I'd say over 50% of that time is not warranted. It is just part of the song <laughs> structure of like, we need this part. The song structure works this way. Here's where the guitar solo happens. And there are plenty of songs that would be better without a guitar solo. Like, they don't even need that section. That, that could be one said, that we do another time, but we've decided that negativity yeah, doesn't that really work for said, this show. That being said, because it is part of the song structure, because it is like a, a chorus and a pre-chorus, people get used to it, and there are some that are so important and vital to people. And um, I picked two that I think are my, they're probably my two favorites. One is because of its emotional quality, and one is because it goes counter to what you expect a guitar solo to do. And that my okay. first guitar solo, if we first one I bring out here is Purple Rain, which is my I knew that would be all yours. Time, That's why it's, it's not my all time favorite guitar. It's my all time favorite guitar solo. And it there's no guitar solo that's better. Their guitar We can go if we if we want to go to the guitar solo part, we can take it. But um let's wait for this thing. My lord. I mean, oh, Kevin, yeah. I got to say, you know, if, if I was being completely honest, that's my number one, too. That is. Well, uh, that, <laughs> and it's only and rivaled me, for me in the annals of, of uh, rock guitar solo history with the Purple Rain solo he did during the Super Bowl <laughs> in the ring. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, let me add why, why I love it so much is yeah, that please it's do, not. Please do. Most of it isn't. It isn't even that many notes. Most of it is long sustained notes but what it is is that the song's emotion has been building for so long and his vocals his vocal performance has been going up to, up to such a crescendo that he has he has nothing left to give with his lyrics or with his voice and just at that moment the only thing he's got left to express that emotion is that guitar so yeah. when he hits nope. that first those first notes and just holds them it is just this giant release and he keeps it going for this whole section, and this guitar solo is so massive, such a build-up to this climax that 
it, the song has four more minutes of just coming down from that guitar solo. There's no more lyrics. I agree. Yeah. Well, but it gets the audience to chant along, and it becomes sort of like this churchy moment. Yeah. It does, and it's just about the just about the come down from that peak right there. It's incredible. It still it, gives me chills. Is. I mean, I've been I've been forty years in that song. It still gives me chills. Um, I, I, so that's I couldn't agree one. more. Yeah. Okay. No argument with us. Shall you I go to your two? number two? Or? Yeah, my number two. Yeah, go to two. Is, what the hell? Okay, let's go to two. My number two here is, I mean, naturally in the world of blues rock, there's a lot of guitar solos, like a ton of them. Some are fantastic. Some are, you know, unmemorable. They're just all over the place. The one I go to as such a great example of what else you can do with the guitar is the guitar solo in Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. If we can listen to Ooh. that. Nice. What a great choice. So nasty. I love that because that's like like the anti-guitar solo, right? The way the song is set up, it it would be very easy just to do some unmemorable tons of notes sort of thing, but this that one just sort of it struggles to be heard. It struggles to break out. You keep thinking it's going to start and it doesn't quite start. It it demands that you pay attention to it. It's, it's got almost funk like reserve from a man not known absolutely for that. from a band. That's what not I mean. Known I, that. Yeah. I think that I think it's funkiness. It's it's desired not to to draw draw all the attention to it, but just by being in these little spurts like that, really makes it transcend the other kind of blues guitar rock that that happens around the Stones at this time or other bands like that. It's really minimalist. It's really clever, and in a song that has so much going on lyrically and otherwise, it really finds a place to stand out. Which is I'm always drawn to this as an example of how to do guitar solo counter to what you would think the guitar solo ought to be. Hard agree. Hard agree. I love that. Your two choices are fantastic. Um, let's move on to Brian. Brian, what do you got? I'm, I'm loving this so far. Nobody's, nobody's yeah, picking I, the show-offs. And when I say nobody, I mean Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think what uh, is similar to both of those, Kevin, and I think, in my opinion, what makes a memorable guitar solo is the expression of the guitarist through the guitar. Both of those, they're speaking in the right way to the guitar. So... Although, Adam, you were saying that the guitar solo is the soliloquy of the song, which it, which it really is, right? It's the guitar player standing up front. Both of those are almost like the guitar players having a conversation with the rest of the song, which right. I think, you know, expressing within the mode of the song, which I think is, is really awesome. So um, one of my uh, favorites and, and most memorable uh, is almost similar in that sense uh, to, to Purple Rain, which is uh, David Gilmore in uh, the song Dogs by Pink Floyd. All right. If you're familiar mm -hmm. with that 17-minute opus. <laughs> let's listen to one minute of it. No, let's listen to 30 seconds for legal reasons. Fine. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, you got it. interesting i mean i was thinking about david gilmore for this sort of in the same way i was thinking about brian may there are two guys who sound like nobody else on the planet so do their solos count and i'm glad that um i'm glad that that his counts for you you want to say anything else about yeah. it? yeah 
Yeah, I mean, and I'd say the difference between those two is what's so interesting about Gilmore is he's just playing a strat just like everyone else, mm -hmm. but somehow he makes it sound so different from everyone else. And that to me is similar in a way. It's funny that you brought up Sympathy for the Devil, Kevin, because you, you hear that section of the solo, it's, it's similar in, you know, to the song in the, in the same way. Well, as we've talked about Pink Floyd before, I, I like Pink Floyd. I find a lot of Pink Floyd cold, do you know what I mean, like kind of unemotional by design, especially the Roger Waters stuff. And every time David Gilmour shows up with his guitar, I, I feel like a human person is involved in, in this song. Like I, I feel like it, it grounds me in a way that I'm like, oh, okay, there's a friend of mine. There's a friend in, in this weird world I've entered that is somewhat cold and unemotional. Here's this guy who would probably take me through and be like, it's all right. It's all right in here, buddy. Do you know? Meanwhile, Roger Waters is making me super uncomfortable in his in his space. So are you familiar specifically with that one, Kevin, with that oh, yeah, song? Yeah. That song? I, um, oh, okay. I, animals, when, when I was recently rediscovering Pink Floyd and the, and the ones I didn't know, animals was the one that surprised me the most about how much I was going to enjoy that record. I think partially because that's the album that, that they're not played all over classic rock radio out of context, like a lot of the other songs. So I love it. But, but sometime in the back half of Pink Floyd, when I start to, dislike Roger Waters and love David Gilmour, he's, he's say, he, to me, like he's the best part of the wall. He's the best part of these. His, his tone, even solo-wise, his tone is great. It's his phrasing. It is, it's, and it's not, none of these people, and I love Shredders. Like I love Steve Vai. I love, you know, the metal guys. But the ones we're picking are all emotive players. They're all holding yeah. single notes. They're, they're all, yeah. and I do that even when I play just what, what we do. It's, a, it's more fun to find a melody in the midst there that might resonate than it is to play as many notes as possible. I and couldn't that's what agree all more. these are doing. Yeah. Brian, what's your other one? Yeah. Bring us another. So I, I have a, a if list. If it's Stevie of, Vi, of we apologize. The, yeah, no, no, no. I have a list of more of the obvious candidates, but I also want to just give a, a special shout out. I'm not going to pick just one solo, just every one of his solos uh, is Neil Young because he plays wow. just one note. It's just one note in his yeah. solo. Sometimes he plays two or three notes, you know, on, on a particularly ripper, ripping song, but like he <laughs> just repeats a note over and over and over again. But like, I, I, you know, I don't know the uh, uh, technique of guitar playing, but it seems like he just attacks the same note differently <laughs> each time, and that's the solo. Well, I think that's. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Absolutely, yeah. and that's what I'm. That's yeah. even the beginning of Purple Rain. I mean, he's holding on one sustained note. Like, there's if you're trying to get emotion and speak something out of out of this moment, you don't need. I mean, there's only 12 notes really, anyway. You know what I mean? You just need one of them to to get to people in relation to that. I, I think Neil Young's great in that way. And he somehow makes that one note unpredictable. Like somehow I don't know yeah. what's coming and I don't know what's coming next, even if it's the same thing. I agree. Because you don't know if he's going to find it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like unhinged. It is. It is. Very, he's very rock and roll, especially with Crazy Horse. You don't know if the whole thing is just going to completely go off the rails. Agreed. Or, and sometimes it does and then it comes back, which is the beauty of it. You know, I'm glad that you brought that up because we're going to segue over to mine right now. And they are also people who are very emotive and kind of feel like they're coming off the rails at all time. I know you guys are going to love that my first one is Jimi Hendrix. And I was trying to think, which is my favorite <laughs> Jimi Hendrix? And in a way, I kind of wish I'd done All Along the Watchtower, but you kind of have to staple three solos together to get one of the greatest guitar right. solos of all time out of that. And you kind of have to do this with what would be my number one Hendrix solo pick, because I think there's two solos on the cut. Don't hold me to it. Um, and that's Voodoo Child, Slight Return. I don't oh, yeah. think I can think of a guitar solo that feels more edgy and yet more uh, skillful. And yet at the same time, it, there's just so many sounds being made that are the sound of something just being destroyed. And it's not, it's, it, there's, there's no technique being showed off here other than his ability to create the sounds of the apocalypse. Uh, do you want to uh, play that one for well, us, Kyle? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know that there was ever anyone no. like that. Certainly, no one was well, doing and, that. Then. <laughs> and I and I also think, as we were talking earlier, that the the guitar solo section as like a song structure is something that is is people are used to, and it's a it's a place for the guitar player to do their performance. But Jimi Hendrix, in my mind, he's soloing from the first note to the last note. It just depends on the intensity of his solo, right? It depends on how loud the solo is. So true. In fact, while I was um, while I was trying to find my favorite Jimi Hendrix solo uh, a few days ago, I kept remembering favorite riffs and then finding out that they're right in the middle of the verse. <laughs> right, exactly. Because <laughs> like- he's just breathing through the guitar while he's singing. It's, it's just, it, it's nonstop. But those couple of solo sections are fantastic. Agreed, completely agree. He he, and his tone is never not on edge. It's never sounded dated to me. It's never sounded like something that that is less dangerous. It still sounds raw and crazy. People are still trying to get that tone. Absolutely, and in fact, that brings me to my next one because uh, I know I, I probably love this guy more than you guys do. But while we're talking about Voodoo Child, let's take a song that I am completely convinced was kind of based on Voodoo Child, even though this is thought of by some people, particularly guitar fans, as this guy's best recording slash composition. Uh, Kyle, hit me up with the uh, guitar solo from the White Stripes, Ball and a Biscuit. about the white stripes there's always going to be sort of that sideshow aspect to it the fact that he is playing the rhythm guitar and the de facto bass and the lead guitar at the same time and I, I like to push that aside when i think about how good their music particularly their earlier music was because i i don't i don't need anything else other than the sounds he's making with that guitar on that solo and for the rest of that song i think it's one of the best blues rock songs ever i think i think he does a very good job of taking sounds we are familiar with and making them sound both familiar and new, which is not easy. Like, it has the comfort of, like, oh, I've heard this before, right? Like, if you didn't tell me what it was, I might think that that was some 60s garage band. But it also is super, just the, his tone, his guitar tones especially, like, especially his lead tone, totally, like, strange, contemporary, moving in ways we never heard before. He's always finding an original sound using, like, the colors we've all been familiar with. And I know that you and I differ as to how sincere the emotions behind that are. You don't well, buy I mean, Jack White yeah. completely. No, no, no. I, I buy him as much as I buy most entertainers. Like I, 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 <laughs> I think that he's. I think no. I mean, I mean, I think he's as sincere as Prince. You know, for instance, absolutely. I just well, you know, Prince came like, to yeah. mind with that because that 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 weird turnaround that we heard at the you know that very old timey turnaround that we heard at the end of that solo we were just listening to is a little reminiscent of the old-timey ending that Prince does to uh, Let's Go Crazy. Oh, yeah, right. The classic <laughs> sort of rock. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, no, I, I buy, I, to, I have no, I think I find it fascinating that, that Jack White's got this weird persona that he's always sort of lying about. I think that makes him super interesting. <laughs> it makes it, though, it does make him different than, say, Neil Young, who's like always just this like raw bundle of emotions who I never feel Living, like breathing really, authenticity. Yeah. yeah, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I I definitely hear the difference. I I feel like Jack White's authenticity is expressed through his instrument and definitely not through his persona. But I do think that to me those two are are, are somewhat separate. Yeah, yeah. As a guitar as a guitar players go, absolutely. Yeah. All right, and you know what else is authentic? These fantastic sponsors. Although there is so much more to do about guitar solos, we'll do it another night. Dad Bandland returns after this. DBL. 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 Dad Bad Land is back. Oh, my God. We could do guitar solos for a stunningly long amount of time. I think we should probably do a DBL oh, yeah. mini. Brian's just suggested but you know that. what? You know what? It's funny. I'm, I'm literally having that conversation with myself all day, so I might as, well, might as well record it and put it out there because this is literally all I think about. What I yeah. also 
just realized is mm-hmm. as we come in, usually I do a real high pitch like DVL. I can't, I can't do it. COVID has no because you've got the COVIDs. Yeah, I know. No, I'm still, know. I'm still coughing and a little bit compromised. I just don't have the the goop in my system that I did yeah. a week or so ago. Well, we'll know uh, when Kevin, I bring back I the falsetto ask- DVO. I want to ask you about something, and I want you to answer honestly. Um, I want you to man up on this question, okay? We just <laughs> okay. did. We just did the best guitar solos, our favorite guitar solos. All of us had a bunch in, in mind. If the next, if sometime around soon, we did best keyboard solos, would you have anything? Absolutely. Not a solo. Um, would you have <laughs> okay. anything um, <laughs> to? Uh, yeah, no, I definitely. Honestly, I, as much as I love the shtick of doing this, yeah, like, it's good shtick. We have for sure. You're forgetting that I. I mean. Uh, again, tied to it as a Prince fan, like there are some incredible piano solos just from him alone. Do you know what I mean? There are some yeah. absolutely but I, great But I worry solos. that backed up against the wall, you'd go with Eddie Van Halo's solo and jump. Uh, no, I wouldn't. No. No, I, w- I would not. Because <laughs> that I worries me. That worries me. <laughs> no. In fact, I often forget. I often forget that's even a thing, to be honest, because... Uh, Best, best forgotten. Yeah. Um, hey, you've but, tried to erase it from your memory. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think. I, but yeah, no, as I long as we, we should do it. Yeah, we will. We will someday soon. As soon as our audience is really born. Um, hey, as long <laughs> as we're out on this precipice, I did it so you didn't have to. As long as we're out on this precipice, let's back away from it and walk mm-hmm. a little ways down this lonely road. Oh man, where in the corner is a house? <laughs> on the corner, but there's nothing else near it. It's terrifying. There's bats in the belfry. There's there's an old woman peering out of a, a top window that seems to disappear the minute we fix our eyes on her. And out front is the friendly face of Brian Frank, because this is his house. It's... We're at Brian's House of Wax. Brian Frank, welcome us in, will you? Well, uh, Ryan, yeah, uh, I can't go in. I'm going to yeah. sit on side on the porch. Oh, right, he's go got the COVID. And talk about this, yeah. Oh, uh, listen, it's an old, dilapidated house. There's a lot of air just blowing through. <laughs> There's the windows, snow windows. If if you've seen, you know, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but Stranger Things, it's really, sure. you know, the house that Vecna was oh, in, okay, right? right. Is oh, the house of was, it's it's what how I imagine house. it, at least. Yeah, yeah. No, no, and what, everybody no, in yeah. it has had COVID. Yeah, yeah true. True. Okay, well, I'm coming right in. I'm coming right in. Okay, oh, no, 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 no. Wait, take a test. <laughs> Listen, we're in the mud room. It's fine. Okay. The mud, mud, the mud will fix it. <laughs> what are you featuring with your wax facts for Brian's House of Wax tonight, Brian? Yeah. So, uh, so tonight wax we're talking about um, <laughs> Bruce, oh Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen's 12th album, The Rising, which was originally released on July 30th, 2002. Uh, which means it's around 20 uh, at the time of this recording. Um, and it's interesting. One thing I noticed, I, I, I'm going to admit this off the top. I'm not a massive Bruce Springsteen fan. I am respectful of Bruce Springsteen, but he's not at the top of my list of go-tos. Wax and opinions. one thing that... <laughs> and, and one thing that, that struck opinions. me when I... When I took out this record and started doing the research, I'm like, oh, it's Bruce Springsteen's 12th album. Is it with the E Street Band? Is it not with the E Street Band? And I realized all the albums just say Bruce Springsteen, whether it's with the E Street Band or not, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, Which is kind of interesting to me. I don't think every one of them, but most of them, you're right, they do. They just say Bruce Springsteen. They don't mention the band. Like Neil Young, when he performs with Crazy Horse, it says Neil Young and Crazy Horse, or Neil Young, if it's solo. Bruce, you don't know. You don't know until you listen and open up. <laughs> so this was his uh, This was his first album in seven years uh, since The Ghost of Tom Joad. Which was not uh, which with I the E Street Band. On original vinyl. Yep, which was not with the E Street Band. And it's his first with the E Street Band in 18 years, the first since Born in the USA. Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty impressive. And I'd say for a lot of the uh, more casual Bruce Springsteen fans, it's likely that they had born in the USA and then didn't buy another Bruce Springsteen album until this one with the okay, E Street fair, Band. Fair. It's possible. Yeah. You know? Um, so this this album was a, a critical and commercial success. Uh, it hit number one in America, which was his first number one since 1987's The Tunnel of Love. 
Um, it also hit number one in Canada, the UK, and nine other countries. Massive, massive record. Um, at the Grammys, it won uh, Best Rock Album. It was nominated for Album of the Year. The title track won the Grammy for Best Rock Song and Best Male Rock Vocal Performance and was nominated for Song of the Year. So clearly an impactful record just in the musical context. Um, I also found it interesting that uh, this record was his first produced by Brendan O'Brien, mm-hmm. uh, who was famous for producing a lot of 90s alternative bands like Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam. Um, and after this one, went on to produce four more for Bruce. So obviously a very fruitful uh, relationship there. Yeah. Um, and um, the real story, I'd say, for this album is the backdrop of, of September 11th. Um, definitely for me personally, it's these are you know fused in my mind. And the, the famous story is that um, Bruce was uh, approached uh, by a fan after September 11th. A stranger rolled down his window, car stopped next to him and said, we need you now. Um, and so Bruce was really inspired to do this. Um, Stranger was actually talking to somebody else, but it's fine. (laughs) He was talking to the cop who was parked next to Bruce Springsteen. Um, There was something going on. He's like, we need you now. But Bruce was like, oh, me? Yeah, it's got to be about Um, me. I'm Bruce Springsteen. I'm the boss. (laughs) Uh, So, um, you know, most of the songs were written after September 11th and inspired by it. But there were a few, actually, that predated it. Um, My City of Ruins. Uh, which I want to talk about in a second, further on up the road, Waiting on a Sunny Day and Nothing Man, were all done before, um, but were essentially recontextualized within this album. Um, so to, to scroll back, we all know what happened on September 11th. Uh, ten, ten days later, for, for those of you who don't recall, there was a, a concert that aired on online, actually, but also on 35 networks at the same time called America Tribute to Heroes. And um, there were a lot of artists who performed and actors and celebrities speaking. They raised $200 million. Um, and Bruce performed the song My City of Ruins, uh, which he had actually written about his hometown of Asbury Park, New Jersey. And he had previously performed it at a couple of shows in New Jersey, and that's it. Um, But he changed some of the lyrics to be more uh, apropos of the circumstance. And I think that's what really galvanized people and really, you know, pushed Bruce to to make this this record. Um, And in thinking about the timing of this album, and when it came out, it, it brings me back. It, like I said, it's linked to this time where people were actually united to help each other. And it was a time when the whole country supported New York, which as a native New Yorker, I can say mostly people <laughs> don't like us. Yep. And uh, to have people you know, all around the country and also around the world um, you know, really getting behind uh, New York and, and the people and what happened was uh, a special time. And these days, it really feels like it's everyone for themselves. We have all these tragedies happening, and maybe there's a minute of, of people around the country caring about it, but people move on. And um, I really feel like this album, and again, I, I'm not the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan. It's really earnest and straightforward. It's clear in its purpose. And that's what struck me with the title track, it is a September 11th story. It's about a firefighter going up in the World Trade Center. Bruce was clearly trying to uh, to say something. Um, and so I think, you know, it, it was obviously powerful. Um, I'd love to hear from you guys on your experience with it. And did you listen to it back then or was this a new thing now for you? Well, I can, I can take that, which I think is <clears throat> interesting. I... I always like I always liked Bruce Springsteen. I never did a deep, deep dive until the very beginning of the pandemic. It occurred to me that I didn't know everything the way I should. So I, I did every day. I did a new record up through Tunnel of Love, which was tremendous. Which made me like him in a way I never thought even possible. But not not just as a songwriter, but just even as, as a person. Like in terms of talking about it's. 
I can see how you don't like his music. It's very difficult not to like him because he's extraordinarily sincere, you know, and not in a way that's even like cheesy, in a way that he's just out there trying his hardest and, and no matter what it is. And it, uh, it, 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 it never falls flat. I mean, like Bono is sincere, but sometimes you think like he's being sincere for people he's never met. Bruce Springsteen feels authentic at every second. He does. And so I think... So I was a you know fan, but I stopped paying attention in the early '90s. I think the with Bruce, the '90s was a decade that did not reward sincerity and did not reward. <laughs> it, it didn't. We were we were no. not prepared for the hard work and sincerity of Bruce. It was sort of over. It was almost outdated. We wanted something a little more ironic and tongue in cheek and like self aware. And then when. September 11th happened, the world was ready for Bruce again, and he had a place in that world. I think he skipped a decade because he didn't know what he had to say. And the truth is, he left He left New Jersey. He was trying to find some place to be. You know, he left his band. Him getting back with his band at a time when the world was ready for him, at a time where he was of an age to have something new to say, all congealed at this musically perfect moment for The Rising. And I, I listened to it when it came out. I did not have the context to appreciate it like I did this past couple of weeks because I didn't know his previous history as well as I do now. And, uh, and what a stunning, stunning album. I mean, I, I, I will say, like, like I say every time, every record between you know, 1990 and 2010 it's is too, too long. too long for Kevin Burke. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think The Rising is like four songs away from being a, up there with, with the best, with Born the Run and all of them, but I think it's his best... Welcome back to Lost Me at 50 Minutes with Kevin Burke. Exactly. <laughs> but but stunning. Even from the first, even from the first song, you need him back. Just hearing his voice. And I had a note about the Brendan O'Brien of it all, because I read in a book he was um he brought the band back, he brought John Landau to produce back. They were recording songs and they just knew something was missing, that this was not sounding like music now sounded, you know, even as a rock band. That's a classic rock band. It was not sounding the same. So they grabbed Brendan O'Brien, which, yeah, he's done a lot of heavy alternative stuff. But what he really does do is capture the sound of a, the density of a band. And he captured the density of this band in a way that really popped and really felt contemporary at that time. I, I think that's right. And I'll tell you, we've talked about saxophones. That's what struck me. I'm like, God damn, Clarence Clemens. Holy oh, shit. Like, every time he comes in, I'm like, to me, he's like the best part of it. You know, yeah. even there's, in the there is something of like returning home. Too. Uh, yeah. yeah. I got to say, my experience of Bruce Springsteen is a little different than your guys because, um, you know, he was. He was a god, although a Jersey god, not a Long Island god when I was growing up. And I am a complete sucker for those earlier albums, like Darkness on the Edge of Town, Born to Run, The River. Uh, all of a sudden he does Born in the USA, which is an unquestionably great album, but he's already starting to say goodbye to the E Street Band. He's already experimenting with sounds that don't uh, involve them, and, and his rhythmic complexity is kind of going down, right? It, there's a lot of just hitting on the two and four. There's a lot of anthem shit going on. And here's the other thing. I skipped this album when it came out. Mm. I was almost angry that it existed. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I was in New York on 9-11. And no, I was here. Not only I was here. Yeah, Brian, you, either way, or... Yeah, we had we had already moved here. I, I, I yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, go ahead. So I was there and I watched the country unite behind us. And only a year later, I watched the country unite behind the war effort in the name of New York. And I was at a rally where 500,000 people in New York came out with signs saying, not in our name. And yet the war happened in our name. So I was... In a, in a place where I wanted to avoid any art made by people not in New York on 9-11 about 9-11 because it's kind of hard to convey how fucked up that was and how we'll never... You, it's hard to take its measure. I mean, like, we'll get to it in a second, but Bruce Springsteen writes uh, that Into the Fire song, which is number two on the album mm -hmm. and maybe one of the most moving songs you'll hear. It's about running up into the World Trade Center. Um I believe I believe it was called Company One or Engine Company One out of Park Slope, Brooklyn, my neighborhood, that lost like 18 out of 27 guys because they were the response unit to travel over the bridge and go up the World Trade Center. So there were, not only were there candlelight vigils outside their station in my neighborhood for the next week, but those were the guys that I would put my one-and-a-half-year-old nephew in their hands so that he could get the thrill of being in a fire truck 
and those were the first guys to die in the fire. Um, it was a uniquely awful thing to have, like, ashes falling in your yard and shit, and then watch the country, everybody... And I, I'm sorry to say I lumped Bruce Springsteen in with these people about the people who were making art that actually made money about a, about a circumstance that they were not part of. Uh, all that said, uh, you know, so I skipped that album in 2002. Didn't want to listen to it. I listened to that album this week for the first time in its entirety, and it wrecked me. Everything about it is fantastic. It's just that song, Into the Fire, makes me think of those oh, guys. Yeah. And, and in the best possible way. The various refrains are so... I, I mean, I, I could get into the specific songs, but there were so many of them that were so eloquent. Um, Empty Sky, um, You're Missing, obviously, the refrain of the, your, the rising, the, just the, the, the horrible moment of trying to put yourself in, the, in the, the shoes of a hijacker for paradise, and then to end in My City in Ruins, which is... Um, my City of Ruins, which is just how it felt then. I mean, everything was ashes and posters looking for missing people. Uh, so I came completely around on this album. I get it. It's not you, very you lyrically named complex. Every, you named all the songs, too, that just stuck out to me. Like, every... it, it And it's crazy, and I wish I had gotten into it more at the time, because cause emotions... I don't want to say the doll, but you just have different perspective on things now. Like, this... A lot of this, I think, would have been very... Uh, I wouldn't have been ready to face some of these perspectives at the time. Do you know what I mean? I, I know I wouldn't to, have. To I mean, up. I avoided it because I was like, well, that's crass. And I now I know I avoided it also because, like, the last thing I needed was a song to draw more of that shit out where we were all trying to put our lives back together after it. And I, and I agree with you. Like, there was definitely, I mean, I think a lot of times the heart was in the right place, but there were definitely people who didn't know how to express themselves, who wanted to express something about this particular thing. I think every, if anybody was designed to find a way to express the average person's experience on this, from many angles, it, it was him. I mean, it was almost like he was, that's what his whole career is for, is to finding these moments in time, to find these aspects of people's lives. And, and, and I, think, I think there's a period of time where he just didn't, he wasn't in tune with that, you know, but, but he got yeah. back in tune with it in the early 2000s. All of his records, his Brendan O'Brien records, remain in tune with that. They're a little bit older, yeah. you know. He's in tune with a little different group of people, but there are some. And they're, really they're missing a little. They're missing a little bit of that E Street Band fun that I love so much. I mean, there is a little bit of it on the album. You hear little shades of it, like that Glockenspiel, which I believe was created just because Bruce Springsteen knew his songs were going to be on, <laughs> you know, shitty FM radios and you needed yeah. some high tones. That's back a couple of times. You know, Clarence Clemens, like like Brian said, he, the big man is blowing really hard a couple of times, overblowing the way he does. Uh, but in general, you don't have a ton of that E Street band rave him up. Uh, and I, th I think, and I think that has to do, I think that has to do too. He said something I found really profound, at least, you know, when I was a bit younger, but he was, he was saying that the, that the secret to growing, was, I'm paraphrasing, the secret to growing old was maintaining your idealism after you lost your innocence. Damn. And I, and I was <laughs> like, oh, happened. Jesus. You know, wow. <laughs> wow. I was not ready for that. And, uh, well, and that's what it is. He's trying to find some idealism when he knows the world's not the world of the, his second album. Do you know what I mean? When he finds out the world's yeah. not the world of, of, of even Born to Run. Do you know what I mean? There's a young person going for the gold that now he's a person after a certain age trying to help everyone around him. There is a story yeah. to that. And he, and he respects his position as the person who, whose kind of job it is to respect that position for people. He takes it seriously. And I think the summary of that is he is the guy, like you were saying, Adam, avoiding uh, people who are not directly involved with it, trying to comment or, or say something about September 11th. He's one of the few people that could actually do that. When you think about yeah. all of his songs and the way he writes songs, he was not that person in those songs, but everyone felt authentically and genuinely like he was talking about them. It's, it's the same in this respect. That's what he's really good at. You know, he really is a, a an observer of people and can communicate what's going on in a really interesting way, even if he it wasn't directly him. Um, and like you're saying, Kevin, I think he couldn't probably relate in the 90s. I haven't, and now ha after listening to this record, I'm realizing, by the way, that 
uh, I have this rare record on double vinyl yeah. oh, worth wow. a lot of money. Like, <laughs> like yeah, like vinyl like in 2002. Saying, Kevin, probably, That's incredible. Right. Yeah. Right. It's probably like one of the lowest vinyl points. I'm going to go back and buy the 90s records and really listen to them now because I am really curious what he was talking about then. I completely avoided it. I mean, I didn't listen to Bruce Springsteen after Born in the USA. I had that cassette when I was, oh, there was that live box set. I had that live box set too, the Live 85. That was it. I had no idea, didn't listen to him, had no clue what he was talking about. I was too grungy. Yeah, I was too. uh, No, me too. too. I'll report back. I, I, I'm surprised how much I've come around on him. And it's mostly it's due to him. His sincerity won me over. It was he's, after all this time, like he consistently was sincere. And you know what? Like I was saying with the No Nukes concert last week, his band at its peak is, is probably the greatest rock and roll band. Like you just see them do rock and roll better than anybody. You know, I, I got to say, so you, could, you could stack the peak of the E Street Band up against anybody. And, Agreed. and it, it, they just shred. And they're tight, and Bruce is the reason why they are like they are. Yeah. Well, and, like and you, Brian, we barely talked wanna... about the music. We barely talked about the music on this album, which says <laughs> oh, a, a lot point. about Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. It, it does, and you know what? I think the, re- the reunion of the band matters to people, because even if it sounded similar to the band, people wanted to know it was these people. People who were fans wanted to know the band was back, right? They wanted to know. 100%. You know. 100%. Those moments where it opens up and you hear the whole E Street band, and I, I, I think... Th- I think production-wise, that, that those are very conscious moments of we're going to mm-hmm. give you a little bit of 1978 right here just to let you know that the band's still alive and okay. Uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's there. That's there for a reason, like everything on that album. And you know what? This album deserves the success it got, like winning, <sighs> winning all those Grammys, w- selling all those records. Like this is people, this was important to people, and, and people recognized that that was the case. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, this is when it needed to happen yeah. for him as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so again, I apologize years, to our listeners that we don't. Yeah, absolutely. Go back, listen to it. I apologize to our listeners that we didn't have much funny to say about it. But, you know, it has the fewest punchlines of just about any album I've ever heard. <laughs> and yet at the same time, it is not without joy. I say listen to it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, fine. Revisit. Right. So before we go away to commercial, and we will in just a second, let's, um, let's take a little bit of Into the Fire, which is a song written specifically. Um, Kind of from the point of view of a uh, 9-11 widow of uh, the very Dad Bandland will be back and much funnier <laughs> right after this. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> Dad Bandland, DBL is back. Let me hear you go. DBL, Kevin. Yeah. That was that was a COVID. <laughs> <laughs> DBL. Next year. My wife just next said, year. She goes, no. She's overheard that. She said no <laughs> to herself. No. <laughs> uh, next week, uh, barring Jeffy getting COVID, we will be a COVID-free podcast. For now, the ravages of our modern plague are really taking us on. Nice coughing there, Kevin. Well timed. Yeah. And now yeah. it is time for our beloved segment, our ending segment, our dessert, Brian's yawning. It's time for Guilty Pleasures, everybody. Guilty Tunes pleasures. that you know you shouldn't love as much as you do, um, but you do. I'm going to start because there's no, there's no real preamble needed, really. In, in the early 1990s, getting towards the mid-1990s, there was a project called If I Were a Carpenter. It's an album of alternative bands, including Sonic Youth and Cracker, and other bands recording classic Carpenter's hits. Oh, right. The one I want to play is by a um, a little-known Japanese pop girl band uh, way before J-pop was a thing. They're called Shonen Knife. They're a little more on the alternative side than most uh, J-pop bands you listen to right now. Uh, Let's just sample, and you won't want it to stop, Top of the World by Shonen Knife. (laughs) Play it, Kyle. Mm -hmm. I'm 
So All right. <laughs> I uh, I j- was just watching. There's a, a documentary about A and M Records, which I highly recommend. Ooh. And there's actually another one about Herb Alpert, which I also highly recommend. But it was covered the history of A and M Records, and there's a whole segment on the Carpenters, which, by the way, Karen Carpenter is one of my favorite and best drummers of all time. Wow. Uh, she's absolutely fucking amazing. And <laughs> thanks for bringing when that. When we were watching it. I turned to uh, Laura and I was like, do you remember that Carpenter's Tribute album, If I Were a Carpenter? <laughs> That's crazy. Like just, that was yesterday, Adam. So yeah. timely. And I, I totally forgot about that record until yesterday. And that thank you record for came that out around the same time back. as that Schoolhouse Rock tribute album, which also mm-hmm. slams. Uh, I'm going yeah. ha- to bring one of those our way at some point. You know, loosely connected to this, there is recently someone found out online that there's a music teacher in... There was a music teacher in Downey, California, who was the cart was Karen Carpenter's music teacher, and then ten years later was James Hetfield's music teacher as well. So there is a singular music teacher who can claim influence on both the Carpenters and Metallica. Let's find out who that you know, person is, and if, yeah, if they or this. some member of their family is around, because that is a guest <laughs> worthy of you know the yeah. coveted and rare DBL guest slot. That is correct. And I'd like to hear a Metallica-only Carpenter's Tribute record. 100%. I, I would do that. And they would do yeah. that. <laughs> Who's next, Brian or, or Kevin? We don't have any Jeffy. He didn't send ahead one. He only sent ahead a mission. Um, I, sure, I'll, okay. I'll go, because I think I think Kevin is pretty hyped on his, so I'll let him close out the evening. <laughs> 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 um, so uh, so my, uh, my song... Um, has a long and storied history. It was it was written in 1970 by Mentor Williams, uh, and you might know his brother Paul Williams, who is much more famous. And Mentor Williams wrote this song in 1970. It was originally recorded in 1972 by John Henry Kurtz, but most people, including myself, had no clue that that existed until I did the research on it. Um, the, the song that, uh, the, the version that, uh, I, uh, is my guilty pleasure today was released in 1973. Uh, Kyle, could you play us uh, a little of this message? So this one came on the radio Ryan. the other day. I was reminded about how much I loved it. And then I did some research. And did you guys know that Michael Bolton covered this song in 1992? Did not I'm completely unsurprised. You know what? My Michael Bolton 92 knowledge is pretty slim, I have to confess. I really yeah. don't know much about uh, Except for what then, he was doing in his personal life, I don't know anything about him. Yeah. And then Uncle Cracker did a version in 2002 that Dobie Gray, let's let's give the credit to Dobie Gray saying that that version that we just heard. Uh, Dobie Gray actually came on Uncle Cracker's version. Um, Apparently, this song has been covered a billion times. But the one I really want to listen to and I haven't listened to yet is the Rolling Stones covered this song. Oh, wow. uh, When they recorded It's Only Rock and Roll. But it wasn't released, and it did come out on the Tattoo You reissue last year. I haven't listened it to it yet. It can't possibly touch the thing we just heard. I want to say, Brian, yeah. you know, it's a pity that Plato died 5,000 years ago, because if okay. there was a platonic form of guilty pleasure, it would be that one. Because like there, that song is undeniable. The second you get to the chorus, you're happy you're there no matter what door you walked in through. So that's fantastic. It, it is. There's times, it's one of those songs that I've taken... I've long assumed just exists because I don't. I've never decided to look up who does it. I've never decided to need, right. need to know where it comes from. It's as if an AI listened to a thousand hours of classic rock and was like, "Here is the best classic rock we can create for you," and it, and it <laughs> That's works exactly right. But I've we never shall like, control the that? humans through this song. Yeah. <laughs> Doby Gray, sadly, sadly, he's no longer with us. He, and uh, he and thank you, Mentor Williams. I hope you were Paul's older yeah. brother with a name like that, as opposed to his younger brother, because that <laughs> made no yeah. sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brian, thanks for bringing that into our house. Hey, Kevin, what do you got? Bring us home. Uh, I've got what I've got here. This is a song from in the late '80s. Uh, 
a supergroup was created featuring one of the world's fastest shredder guitar players and one of the world's greatest shredding bass players. And they struck a number one hit with this rockin', shredding, crushing song that you're about to hear. What year? 91. What year is this? Oh, boy. Hold on, little girl. Show me what he's done to you. Stand up, little girl. A broken heart can't be that bad when it's through. It's through. Fake with twist of both of you. So come on, baby. Come on over. Let me be the one to show you. I'm the one who wants to be with you. Deep inside, I with you by Mr. Big and Mr. Big and I'm not kidding Mr. Big had Paul Gilbert Pittsburgh's own Paul Gilbert from Racer X who was a famous amongst <laughs> guitar players and Billy Sheehan of David Lee Roth like we all expected this intense shredding rock band and other than people who read guitar magazines no one really knew of them but me and their second record came out and again no one bought it but guitar lovers but it had that song lurking at the end we never thought about it suddenly it sneaks out again sneaks out late 91 early 92 post Nirvana Sneaks into number one, like becomes a big number one hit for this band. I never, till this moment, had any idea who was responsible for that insanely catchy tune. It's so weird that it's Mr. Big, again, a band that only guitar nerds loved. And, and I was supposed to hate that song because it, it wasn't, there's was no shredding. It was all like acoustic and stuff. I can't deny no, I love that song. What a great song. Backstreet Boys are terrific. And yet, uh, <laughs> why wouldn't you love that song? It's undeniable. Well, it's. It is, and it's like uh, extreme more than words. It is. Yes, an outlier that's the one to that I called catalog, to mind. Probably same right? year, right? Yeah, yeah, that was September, August, September '91. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it definitely felt into that uh, more than words unplugged era where it occurred to everyone that these rockin' long hairs could could do acoustic, and that was going to be a whole new way to discover music. And uh, yeah, they wrote, and so they're most famous for that, despite the pedigree that they came from, which was all about that's awesome. speed guitar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, definitely, if you're in a bad mood, put that on. You cannot deny yourself that. Yeah. No, you really I'm can't. I'm just sad Jeffy, uh, Jeffy missed our guilty pleasures this week. Oh, he'll really have to listen to this one because I bet he would have brought a, brought a great one. Jeffy Brandon, we're missing you here. But you know what we're not going to miss? It's only a three-person three horse race here, or three-horse person race oh. here. But we're, it's time <laughs> for Kyle's crown of three shame. Horses. <laughs> Okay, There's gotta, no shame. Here. No shame here. Something though, but yeah. Do you want something unprecedented or do you want it definitive? Give us something unprecedented. What do you want to do? Okay, so we are going to. This is going to have to be a push. Oh, I want to keep. I want to keep this crown a little lighthearted. So next next week, um, somebody is going to get two. So they're gonna they're gonna claim the crown from this week and next. week. I like how well, you how you and unprecedentedly. Manufactured your right to reserve a crown as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. What, one thing that this podcast does is, is do unprecedented things. Better than anybody. The reason is is because I I love all those songs, <laughs> Adam. I know I know the original um, that you brought, right. and then Brian. I know I know the cover, the Uncle Cracker cover, <laughs> and then Kevin. I just I just love that song, so I I cannot really hand out a crown. That's fair. Yeah today we're all, all equals right. we're all winners tonight so it's a push yeah it's a push we're all or winners push. except jeffy jeffy except you're gonna have jeffy. to come back <laughs> <laughs> and maybe catch covid because you're the there's the odd man you're out in both uh, in both these let me just That's say true. that um dad band land is a production of starburns audio and us uh i'm a producer jeffy's a producer and he makes or occasionally kyle makes that opening music montage what else am i supposed to say here 
check us out on all our socials or email us at dadbandland at gmail.com. Our socials are hopping again now that we're all recovering from COVID. And, of course, dadbandland at gmail.com is a destination where I answer your emails. You want to talk to me? Send an email. Uh, all right, everybody. We'll catch you next week on Dadbandland. TBL. TBL. Here's a theme song by Adam Korn. Oh, yeah. Our theme song's by Adam Korn. Let's cue that now. Great work, angels. I'll get those bikinis cleaned up in no time. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> Jeff, you'll be back next week, everybody. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Star Brains Avenue, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.